A Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, episode 97. Welcome to The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. I'm your host, Dr. Yishai Barkadari, psychologist and adaptability coach to entrepreneurs and business leaders. I believe that working on your business is more important than working in your business. If you want to achieve your business goals and dreams without the cost and pain of having to make every mistake yourself, then The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is the podcast for you. I'm here to help you learn from the lessons of entrepreneurs and business leaders to help you work on yourself and your business so that you can save time, energy, and grow faster. For those of you new to the show, The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai presents three new episodes each week. On Insight Sunday, we dive into the minds of business leaders through insightful guest interviews. On Story Tuesday, we dig deeper with them and learn firsthand from their stories, hard-earned lessons, and experience. On Thrive Thursday, it's just you and me on the couch, where you'll hear scientific research, my thoughts, and tangible tactics to adapt and grow yourself and your business. Grab a proverbial seat and listen up so you can learn from the minds and mistakes of business leaders and apply their wisdom to your life and business. For those of you who don't know, Chandler Walker began his career as a college undergrad in a biochemistry-focused med school track and switched gears into entrepreneurship to make a bigger impact and approach health and wellness holistically. Along the way, he worked in training and marketing, became the chief growth officer at a major business consulting firm, and co-founded Stone Age Fuel School of Fitness and Consulting Wellness Programs Online to help service-based business owners improve themselves and grow their businesses. Before we dive in, I wanted to share that the Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is brought to you by Adaptability Coaching and Consulting. If you lead a seven-plus-figure business and want to reach the next level for yourself and your business, if you have passions, goals, and dreams, and want to continue to strive as a team, a leader, and a visionary without risking burnout, If you have overcome challenges, developed wisdom, and know that adapting is not just for surviving, but a core part of thriving, then adaptability coaching is for you. With psychology and neuroscience-backed tools, the 3D adaptation framework can show you how to tap into and harness the way our brains are uniquely designed for adaptation. You can learn to harness and leverage adaptability tools and frameworks to grow yourself and your company. You can learn to become fast, flexible, and formidable. You can learn to hone yourself further, to proactively adapt, to thrive, instead of reactively adapting, just to survive. To learn more, go to dryishai.com coaching. On Insight Sunday, Chandler shares his journey from pre-med biochemistry student to entrepreneur focusing on a holistic, six-pillar approach to wellness and business growth. Chandler also shares how he thinks and problem-solves in his business, as well as how to think about and handle emotions and decision-making. And now, without further ado, join me in welcoming Chandler Walker. Welcome, Chandler. 
Hey, thanks for having me on. Hopefully everybody get a good experience and we don't put anybody to sleep through any sort of long, boring, drawn out conversations and they're super pumped after they listen. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for grabbing a seat with me on the Business Couch today. So on Insight Sunday, we dive into the minds of entrepreneurs and business leaders to uncover insights into how their minds work and extract tangible takeaways to learn and implement. And I wanted to start with your journey. Can you tell us how you decided to get into and bring together entrepreneurship, holistic wellness, and business growth? Yeah, so it's a pretty interesting journey. When I was growing up, my mother was sort of bipolar. And it was, I don't know, 20 years ago or so. It was a time period to where you didn't really talk about mental illness. It was, quote unquote, shunned. And people Mm -hmm. didn't really want... They didn't respect the fact that someone could possibly be bipolar. And so she Mm -hmm. was having a lot of problems and issues trying to figure out a solution. And it took until my adult life to really figure it out. And I kind of watched her go through the quote unquote wheels and just nothing ever working and no one really having an answer for her. And at the mm-hmm. same time, my father was an entrepreneur. He was a small business owner who had a business where they installed siding and windows and stuff like that. And he used to make me work for him every summer. And he helped me learn real quick that I didn't want to do any sort of backbreaking labor. But he also was trying to teach me not to be an entrepreneur. And he always told me, go work for the post office. You can just retire. It's easy. Don't own your own business. And obviously I didn't listen like most kids do. And so when I kind of got into the age to get into college, I knew I wanted to be in a sort of a health sciences realm because of kind of what I saw my mother go through. So I went into biochem track and majored in the gut-brain connection and sort of epigenetics when it was new. We were kind of auditing courses because they didn't have the actual courses available yet. And then as I got into the med school track and I started precepting, I was doing some work down in Vegas and I found that most people who came in the physician would ask them and start talking to them about maybe making lifestyle changes. And almost every patient would refuse and just ask for more refills on their medication. Mm. And so I kind of was like, this isn't really the pathway that I want to go. I don't want to have to reference a manual and provide medication for a living. And it's not a shot at doctors or anything. They're hamstrung. They don't have the ability to follow up with people like they need to. So mm. they could change their lifestyle. And the system is designed around sort of medication to provide a solution for somebody. And so I kind of switched Years right there, and we opened up our first wellness facility we called Stone Age Fuel, which was our brick and mortar wellness facility. And it later evolved into the six pillars of wellness, which then evolved into the brain code rewire and kind of took off from there. Yeah, thank you. So, one thing I want to draw out and perhaps explore a little bit more is you mentioned that your mother experienced mental health issues. And I can imagine that for her, it sounds like, and I might be reading a little between the lines, so feel free to fill in for me. It sounds like it took a long time to understand that it's not something that can perhaps just or easily be managed, maybe via medication, or there were other lifestyle changes that may have been necessary to make. I wonder if that's kind of connected to your experience as you were talking about what was going on in Vegas. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the reasons that I wanted to get into a medical track was to be able to provide relief from people and satisfaction long-term versus putting sort of a Band-Aid solution on a problem. And what I learned watching kind of my mother grow was medication provides a solution and it does help. But at the same time, what she learned along the way was being able to move herself to the present moment, journaling, understand cognitive distortions, and kind of moving into an environment where she understood her own thoughts and minds and she could pull herself to the present moment. That's really, I think, what created the biggest and most impactful change for her. When I recognized that that wasn't necessarily what the medical field I was going into wasn't necessarily about, that's when I was decided, like, I can't do this. I can't help people in this way. I need to be able to help people in a way to where we create lasting change. 
Yeah. And so I'd like to hear a little bit more. You mentioned six pillars of wellness and then you mentioned the other work that you do. Yeah. So the six pillars of wellness, what I figured out after doing, I probably did three or 4,000 conversations with people in our facility. And I figured out that there was six key areas they needed to focus on to ultimately be well long-term. And so the first thing I found that they needed to focus on was mental health, our first pillar, because I found that if someone walked in the door and if someone started something and their mind wasn't on point, they were going to fail and convince themselves not to do it and just drop off the face of the earth. Hmm. And then the next thing I figured out was social health. So the next piece was if someone's mind was okay, but they walked in the place and their friends and family and all these other environments were telling them they were dumb or they were wasting money or why are you doing that? They were going to quit because they felt like they were doing the wrong thing because their social environment was destructive. Then the next thing I kind of figured out was sleep. If you walk in and your mental health is kind of in order, people are kind of supporting you, but your sleep's not on point. It's going to create a destructive pattern in your mind. It's going to create a destructive pattern in, in sort of your nutrition. And so sleep became the third pillar. And then the next pillar I figured out was nutrition. And I found that nutrition was important, but it wasn't as important as mental health, the social health and the sleep aspects. Because like, for example, if your sleep isn't on point, if you don't have high quality sleep, you're going to release hormones that tell your body to eat more. And so you're not going to lose weight and you're not going to be able to figure it out. And most people struggle forever trying to figure those things out. And so that's why nutrition became the next pillar. And then the last pillar I kind of figured out, or the next pillar is fitness. And I think fitness is important in establishing the feel-good chemicals for the brain, the environment where you can create a sort of structurally, socially supportive environment, and bone density, which is a big predictor for longevity of life. And then the last pillar is habits. So once we get all these things in order, you have to be able to create micro cycles of habits to create success long-term. I think most people try to go all in on something and they fail because it's just too much. And the human brain is like all in and then all out versus if we install one little thing at a time, we can actually do things for life. Yeah, thank you. And it sounds to me that each successive pillar that you discovered kind of led you to recognizing that there was something else that contributed a little bit or needed to be addressed, but only once... And it was less impactful as the previous one, but only once you had kind of dealt with the previous pillars or worked on them, can the next one really kind of follow and the next one follow and the next one follow. Yeah, and that's exactly it. And take weight loss, for example. A lot of people, hey, I want to lose weight. And so they go to the gym six times a week for a couple of weeks. They start on like keto diet or something and then they fail because they didn't tackle their mental health. They didn't even look at their sleep and their social health wasn't primed because everybody's ostracizing them for doing keto. They're doing something unsustainable. And so it creates a destructive pattern. And I kind of think about these patterns as sort of an emotional, especially in weight loss, it's like an emotional addiction. Cigarettes create a chemical addiction. When you're emotionally addicted to a process that doesn't work, you're always hoping that it will, but you're doing the same thing over and over again and you create this mentally destructive cycle. And so I think mm. that's why these pillars have to be put into place in order. Otherwise, you dive into one thing, it doesn't work. And it's because we didn't apply them in the right way. Yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more when you say an emotional addiction. Can you kind of dig into and help me understand that and how that affects your clients? Yeah. So take my weight loss clients, for example. A lot of them come in after having tried like keto diet, pescatarian diet, the Hollywood cookie diet, paleo diet. They've been vegan. They've been vegetarian. They've been the all meat diet and nothing works. And so the problem is they're emotionally addicted to the process of hope by doing diets. They're hoping that the next diet is going to create change for them. But they're also following the definition of insanity, which is doing the same thing over and over again, restricting and following diets and expecting 
different result. And so what this does mm -hmm. is it gets them emotionally addicted to the hope of the next thing working. Then the next thing doesn't work. They feel bad. They fall off track. They feel terrible. And then they try the next thing. They feel bad. They fall off track. They feel terrible. And they become emotionally addicted to the hope that the next thing might work. It's the same thing in like business too. A lot of business owners, they'll start like, oh, I'm going to do Facebook ads for lead generation. Oh, I'm going to do a Facebook group for lead generation. And they bounce from thing to thing to thing to thing from program to program to program to program because they're emotionally addicted to the hope that the next thing's going to work. Mm, so in this case, the way you think about emotional addiction is that there's a constant looking ahead and it's a kind of grass is greener somewhere else. And then they pick up something and they try to do it and they don't experience immediate success. And within a few weeks, they drop it and then they continue engaging in that process over and over and over again. And it kind of leads them into a cycle of this didn't work and they give up perhaps pretty quickly or soon after they start. And it's not necessarily as intentional. I know you mentioned the kind of importance of installing little pieces at a time. You know, going at the problem with a cannonball reminds me actually, I've, I've been listening to Jim Collins. One of the books he has, Great by Choice, he talks about bullets before cannonballs. So if you're going to shoot at something, if you only have a certain amount of gunpowder is the way he has the analogy, he says you can either put a little bit and aim and fire and see if it hits. In that analogy, it's two ships who are in the ocean that are in the ocean. They're kind of aiming to fire at each other. And so you can either put all your gunpowder in one giant cannonball and aim it and fire. And if it misses, well, you're out of luck. Or you can put a little bit in a gun and aim it and fire. And it, it might be off. And then you make a little correction, then a little correction, a little correction. And you use a little bit at a time. And then once you know that your aim is true, that's when you put all of your kind of or more resources into it. And that's when you kind of throw the cannonball at it. So I'm hearing that a lot of people, they kind of immediately jump at the cannonball where they're trying something without really having the incremental steps or really addressing the parts of it that are really important to get more accurate. When you talk about the six pillars, it seems like these are the things, the targets that they really need to aim at and make sure they're hitting with whatever they're going to do before they really dump all their energy into it. Yeah, exactly. And that's the big thing is instead of going all in and saying, hey, this is where I'm at, it's like, hey, let's install this one thing, then let's install this one thing, then this next thing. Each thing builds upon the previous thing until all of a sudden you've created these macro concepts of success. And it's like I used to have a mentor who said, hey, you've got this big brass ring. And then you've got little rungs for each ring to climb up to your big ring. Don't even focus on the big ring. It doesn't matter because it's going to overwhelm you and make you want to quit. So just focus on each little ring every day. Just make it to lunch, then make it to dinner. Then once you make it to dinner, you're going to make it to breakfast the next day. And he said, if you focus on that one foot in front of the other approach, it puts you in a position to ultimately be successful because you're not thinking about how difficult it is to do this all long term. Yeah. So the importance of really breaking down things down into small, really understandable and relatable and achievable steps. Because if you try to do too many steps or you try to achieve a goal all at once, it's really easy to overwhelm yourself. Yeah, exactly. And the human condition says that it's too much. I'm just not going to do any of it because now I'm overwhelmed and I can't create clarity versus, oh, I have one small thing to do. Okay, I can do that. Hmm. Yeah. Can you share a little bit more about how you think about challenges as they come up along the way? And I'm sure they've come up in your own business and with your clients. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how you think about challenges as they come up and how you kind of problem solve. Yeah, I have a sort of strategic planning process. So what I kind of do in challenges approach is the first thing I do is I check my state. So am I emotional? Yes, then I'm going to step back and I'm going to wait a little bit to tackle it. 
if I'm not emotional and I'm logical, then my first step is to analyze the situation. So what's going on? What could go wrong? What could go right? What's the worst? What's the best? What's the probable case scenarios? Then we look at scenarios. Okay, what scenarios out of what we defined are the most likely to be successful for us to get through this challenge? Then we look at one of the scenarios, one or two we pick, then we analyze those two scenarios. Okay, which one is the most appropriate for the situation? What happens if we do well? What happens if we fail? And then we go into action. We put in the whatever scenario we decide. Once we put that into action, then we go into analyzing what we did. Okay, did it work? What went well? What didn't go well? What can we improve on? And then we go right back into that circle. So the process is first you want to be aware of your own state because your state can really affect your thought process, your ability to think and kind of see the scenarios and work through them. Then you want to work through, you want to do an analysis and kind of work through multiple scenarios. And then you make an action plan and you start to take that action. And then you review the results of that and then see where you can kind of tinker, tweak and make it better. And you, so it's a process that kind of repeats or reiterates. And so it's an iterative process. Yeah, exactly. And it keeps this like circular formation. So you're always able to reanalyze, reinterpret. If it didn't work, you go right back into the cycle with new plans, new ideas. And I think the most important thing is that you're, you're not emotionally good because when you make these kind of decisions, you make decisions that aren't going to necessarily benefit you long-term. You're making decisions that are going to benefit whatever your primal emotion is at that state in time. Hmm. Can you speak a little bit more to that when someone is emotional or when you're emotional and how that can be disruptive and yeah, for sure. So it's like the analogy of the elephant and the rider. So we have the elephant who's the illogical, irrational side of the brain. We have the rider who's the logical, rational side of the brain. But when you're driven by emotions, the elephant is the one leading the way. And it doesn't allow the rider, the logical piece of the brain to actually get in and intersect and interact and, and see if logically what you're doing makes sense. And you see this with a lot of people who they have an event that hurts them or makes them feel emotional. Then they go right into finding a solution. And whether or not they make a solution that's correct for them isn't what's necessarily for them. They need to feel okay at that state and time. And so that's what happens when we make these emotional decisions. We go in to make the decision. It's not usually the decision that's going to make sense long-term. It's the decision that's going to impact me and make me happy in that short period of time. And like a sales call, for example, if you've ever been on a sales call with the sales rep, they're asking you questions about points of pains so they can identify the emotional implications behind what you're going through. So they can use that to get you to make an emotional decision to enroll in a program that they have. And so we're driven by these emotional processes and our mind wants us to be driven by those. But if we can learn to pull ourselves back and be present in the state we're in, we can remove that and allow the writer to be involved to make logical decisions that usually benefit us long-term. So the emotion process can be really disruptive. And part of what I'm hearing is that the emotion is perhaps trying to move you toward happiness, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be or engage with the logical part of your brain or the logical process that is really necessary to make a decision that's going to move the needle in the most effective way or the furthest forward or perhaps in the most long-term helpful direction. Yeah, and that's exactly it. And sometimes short-term happiness appeases us, but it creates long-term problems and implications. And so if we're not able to look at that objectively, we create continual problems in our lives or our mm -hmm. businesses. Yeah, that's something that I actually talk about quite a bit. And it's an area that I am really passionate about. I call it kind of adaptability hacking in that from my perspective, the emotion part of our brain is a part of our brain that's designed to create disruption on purpose when the direction we're going in or the circumstances have changed. And so the direction we're going in is really not going to be helpful. At the same time, though, just because it's being disruptive doesn't mean that 
in that moment of disruption, what we may choose to do is most helpful. And in fact, many of us learn not to trust that or to resist it even. And that can itself create problems. And so from my viewpoint, it's really important to understand that when an emotion shows up, it's often showing up because there is a reason and it's trying to be helpful. And the other side of that is we need to be intentional with it, not just ignore it, not just try to set it aside, but to recognize that it's showing up for a reason and to work in concert with it to address what it is that we really need, what it is that's really going on or isn't okay, or how we're trying to ensure both short and long-term, what our needs are, what our goals are, what we want or what our dreams are so that we can really meet them. Yeah, I like that. And it's like the idea, the emotions coming in, I don't want to battle it or block it. I want to allow the emotion to come in, see the feelings kind of floating by, think about what's going on with it, think about all the aspects and avenues behind it and really pull myself into the moment so I'm present with the emotion. I think you're right because if you block the emotion and try to push it away or pretend like it doesn't exist, it comes back at you full force and it's always Mm -hmm. a lingering issue that you feel like is in the back of your mind. And so if you allow it to just be with you and you allow yourself to be with it, it puts you in a place to where you can create that logical emotional balance and like you're saying, Mm -hmm. create adaptability. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think not only that, there are two things you pointed out that I think are so important and we often really miss it. And I think it really gets a lot of people in trouble. One is that emotions are actually really persistent. They don't just disappear if we don't address, like you were saying, if we don't really let them in and if we don't address what they're trying to let us know needs to be addressed, they're not going to stop. I kind of think about them almost like a firefighter where if there's smoke pouring out the window and someone calls the 911 and the firefighters show up, they're going to knock on the door. But if people ignore it, if the people inside don't respond, are they just going to give up and go away? No, because they have a job. Their job is to protect and keep people safe and make sure people don't die and the house doesn't burn down and the houses next door don't burn down. So they will knock down that door and they'll push harder and harder. So that's one thing you point out that I think is so powerful. And the other one is we can waste, we can expend tremendous energy trying to push away or block or keep at bay the emotions, that just becomes its own drain on our resources, on our energy. And so we can simultaneously be draining our energy and holding at bay something that's actually trying to help us adapt. So I'm really glad you pointed those two things out. I think they're such important pieces of this. Thank you, first of all, for sharing that. And I wanted to jump into a couch round, which is questions I ask everybody who comes on the podcast. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So the first question is, in your experience, does growth happen in quantum leaps? or small increments? I think that's an interesting question. And I was thinking about this the other day. I think growth happens in small segments. And I often see this in the life coaching realm with people that I work with. They think that, I guess, inexperienced coaches think that big breakthroughs have to happen every session, or you have to have this big, massive emotional thing. And like the whole world and you universe has to end after the session for it to be real. But in reality, what you're doing with people is you're creating micro breakthroughs every time you interact with them. They may not even recognize that it's a breakthrough. They may not even understand that anything's changing, but they're starting to shift their beliefs, patterns, or thought patterns, and ultimately the way they feel, handle, manage emotions, and who they are over a period of time. And what that does is it creates these micro breakthroughs versus a quantum leap. It might make you feel good in that session, but it goes away rather quickly. And so this is the same idea behind micro segments of habits create real change. Yeah, thank you. And that's such a powerful point. And it really fits back in with what you were talking about with the six pillars. I'm going to jump right into our next question. Is innate talent or skill development more important in business? 
Yes. I think communication is probably your best, highest, most likely skill to help you succeed. And communication by understanding sort of Socratic philosophy of communication. So not being afraid to ask why, not being afraid to question things. The techniques like being able to use something like downward arrow technique to ask why seven times to uncover the real meaning behind why you're having a problem or why someone else is having a problem. And being able to check your ego and manage your state, I think is profound in business because it translates to your ability to create copy and marketing, to be able to talk to people and chat with people, to be able to make deals. It's one of the most fundamental pieces that I think not a lot of people's focus on. Hmm. So communication is really important and it's a really important skill to develop. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Next, what type of content have you been consuming lately and how do you like to consume content? Whether that's for business, for pleasure? I guess what I like to consume are, are books and audiobooks. Lately for me, it's really honing in on the communication aspect and continuously chasing excellence in it. So right now, I'm reading seven or eight different books relating to the Socratic philosophy behind communication, cognitive questioning, understanding how to check ego states, understanding character states, transactional analysis. So I think that's kind of what I dive into and get a little bit obsessed with. Awesome. So you kind of pick an area and you really dive deep into that and you read a lot up on it so that you can really kind of develop or gain a kind of mastery. And right now you're working on all the communication and different states and how we think and ways of structuring thinking that can be really effective. Yeah, exactly. And then I take a piece of my business and I apply it to it. So like we've Mm -hmm. created this around our enrollment process. When we talk to people who are going to enroll in our program, we have a system called Compassion Conversations now. So it's a system to where you can help lead people to their truth and they can become comfortable with their own decision in enrolling in your programs. And it's through just compassionate questioning and understanding of their emotional states. And so just by diving deep into that kind of stuff, you can make big impacts on your business and the people who interact with it. Awesome. Thank you. Next question. What is or are your non-negotiables, whether that's routines, values, time that you might protect? Yeah, my non-negotiables right now are there's... I have a two-year-old daughter. And so every Monday we go to swim lessons. So I work half day on Monday. Every Thursday we go to dance class. So evenings blocked off for her. And then we go to a local pizza place where she can like play with dough. She's two, so I have to tell her not to eat the dough all the time. But (laughs) big things for me that are non-negotiables are making sure that I have time for my family and myself. Because Mm -hmm. when I was chief of growth for the consulting company, I didn't have a work-life balance. My daughter wasn't born yet, Mm -hmm. but it was like you'd work 16, 17 hours a day in a startup-like environment. And it didn't matter how much money you were making. You didn't have time to spend it or enjoy yourself. And so I made kind of a promise to myself that I wouldn't let life pass by because work got too important. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's such an incredible set of values and non-negotiables. And it's not something that we often think or talk about because it isn't always directly involved in business, but it's definitely part of your life and the reason that you may choose to do business the way that you do, the reason you set those lines and those kind of differentiation between different time is because there's something that's so important to you. And what I'm hearing is you didn't want to just live to work. You're working to have this life. And it sounds to me like your relationship with your daughter is just incredibly meaningful to you. Yeah, exactly. And it's like you work to live life. And for me, it's 
in the past couple of years before the pandemic, I kind of realized that I have the ability to travel. I have the ability to hang out with my daughter. We've been to like the Netherlands, Australia, and all over the US and Canada and stuff like that. And I figured out as well is the more she grows, my little girl grows up with a father who's there and available and loving toward her, the more likely it is she's going to grow up without the need to fill a void like that. And so Mm -hmm. I have the opportunity here to create a real profound change in this little person before she even recognizes that it that it's possible or even happens or and she probably never even know she'll just think this is normal. <laughs> mm. Yeah, wow. That's so incredible that you can be intentional and create that for your daughter and that we can create that for our kids. Last question, where and how can people find and connect with you and your company and perhaps what kind of outreach is welcome versus might not be welcome or ignored? Yeah, you can connect with me at facebook.com forward slash ChansLogic, which is my business page. If you want more information, just shoot me a message. If you want information on how to grow and scale your business, that you just send me the message beyond. If you want information on how to rewire your brain code, like we talked about today in the six pillars, just send me the message six pillars and we'll take care of you there. I have two Facebook groups. You can join those. One's for the business program and one's called the Weight Loss, Mental Health and Sleep Support Group. So if you message me, just ask for access to those and I'll give you access to those as well. And I'll share the links with you. And pretty much anything goes with me. You can friend request me on Facebook if you can find me. People often think I like to talk a lot. I don't like to talk that much, but I will talk to anybody who comes in and interact with people. I just feel like method and mode of communication and the time you give to people comes back tenfold on you. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. And those links that you give me are going to be in our show notes. So for any of you listening, you'll be able to reach out and connect with Chandler easily. The link will be right there. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining and sharing your thoughts and wisdom when it comes to being an entrepreneur in the holistic health and business growth space. I know that there's a lot that contributes to that. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you really got a lot out of Chandler's, what he shared both from his own journey and also in the work that he does with his clients. I know that today, Chandler, you shared your own experience of growing up and how that impacted the way that you heard or thought that you can or should go into a career. And then as you went into that, what you experienced and how that kind of sat well or didn't sit well, given your own experience growing up with your mom, for you, it really kind of led you to work hard to understand and build these six pillars of wellness, the mental health, social health, sleep, nutrition, fitness, and habits and the importance of recognizing that you really need to take small steps, not just try to go all in, and that some of us, we can create these cycles of hoping and really kind of dumping all of our time and energy into something without recognizing or really being intentional and making sure that it's going to work. And then that can lead to a cycle of hope and disappointment. And that cycle can really lead to a process of consistently experiencing failure. It can be really demoralizing. So thank you so much for sharing that and for having the conversation on handling emotions, particularly when these emotions can be really tough and challenging. So thank you so much for that. And again, those links are going to be up. I hope you today got a lot out of our conversation. And I really can't wait to dive deeper with you, Chandler, in your hard-earned lessons and learn more on Story Tuesday. I like it. Thanks for having me on. And hopefully everybody enjoyed the conversation and we created some magical moments of inspiration for you to change your life and change the world in a meaningful and positive way.
Thanks for joining us today on The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. If you enjoyed today's episode, take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It helps grow the show and gives more people like you the ability to learn and grow. You can also click the share button to share today's episode directly with someone you know who would enjoy it. The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai podcast artwork is made by Sam Barkadari, show notes by Yishai Barkadari, and music by www.purple-planet.com. The advice and opinions of the host and guests are our own. I'm a psychologist, but not your psychologist. The conversations and content of this podcast do not contain or create any psychology practice, diagnosis, or therapist-patient relationship with either the guest or the listener. So do your own research before using anything from this podcast. Thank you for listening. Remember, our thoughts and reactions affect our actions. By listening, we can learn from the challenges others face and the choices they make so that we can make better decisions and get better results. 